Praise God. Well, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. You know, this, uh, just, just feeling a part of this song, and uh, the principal message of this song is God's steadfast love. But, you know, sometimes I feel that when we sing this song, sometimes, you know, we can sort of, there's, there's, a, there's like two layers to this song, and it's kind of part, some of it is, yeah, we're going to keep having trouble until we go to heaven. And, you know, there's this sort of nostalgic, but God is with us, you know, through all the pain, the pain, the, the awful pain, that just never-ending, continuous, cyclical, never get out of this pain. But God is there. <laughs> That's the wrong tack we want to take. Because, you know, the, the message of Paul said, listen, even with you, he said, e- even with you, there, there's, a, there's a weakness that I've put in you. But I'm telling you that as you are in this world, as I am now, so are you in this world. That's, that's the real message of faith. That as I am, not, not yeah, we have pain and, and we're not really, we, we, we overcome that. We get above that. We get, we get to the place where there is not really even, even any sacrifice, where it doesn't feel like sacrifice anymore. See, the victory is, Paul said, the, sac- the pain I've experienced is not worthy to be compared to what now I'm seeing. I think sometimes we like to languish in, yeah, I'm suffering for Jesus. And we're not suffering for Jesus. We're suffering because we haven't yet overcome. We suffer because we haven't risen above the things that are anchoring us to this place. We're suffering because we haven't quite let go emotionally. We haven't quite let go. We haven't actually quite experienced the resurrection of life. Yeah, the pain of the cross was painful, and the, and the, and the sorrow of the brethren seeing Jesus lost and, and all that. We could talk, but it's the resurrection. No, suddenly the resurrection negates everything that happened before. And if we're still living in the shadow of the things that happened before resurrection, then we're not fully resurrected yet. And there's a, there's a power of life inside of you that doesn't dwell on the pain of it. That doesn't dwell on, oh yeah, look what I've had to let go. Because you, no, 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 you don't understand. The supremacy of that which I've come into cannot even, is not even worthy to be compared to the suffering. It's not even worthy. And so if the suffering is still preeminent in your heart, I'm saying, come up. Listen, if the pain of the sacrifice of the cost on your side is still preeminent in your mind, then come up higher. I remember David Demian saying this. He said, he said I hate it when, when people talk about the cost of obedience. He said, if you're talking about the cost of obedience, you don't understand the cost of disobedience. There's a reward in obedience that far exceeds the cost of obedience. And if you're still talking about the cost of obedience, you haven't come into the overcoming life, the supremacy of the victory that is in you. And some of us, I feel in this next season, we're going to, something's going to flip. Something's going to come over. We're going to realize that, wow, I, I spent so much time thinking about what I did for Jesus, what I did for the church, what I did for the sake of the cross, not realizing what 
man, I never really come into this until now. There's something we're coming into that will never, never, never look back with nostalgia or any kind of comfort around the sacrifice that we made. That is not payment. That nostalgic, sentimental feeling that, yeah, I too have suffered, that is not the payment. Resurrection life. So I pray, God, let the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you, of what you are bringing us into, may it overwhelm. Oh, God, it is compensation beyond our imagination. Oh, Father, the spirit of resurrection, 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 the spirit of resurrection. In Jesus' name, stir in this place today. Just pause for a second. Just pause for a second. I'm trying, I was trying to decide whether I should share this now, but I think we need to understand the season that we're coming into. For the last two weeks, ever since the beginning of North Battleford, I keep having this reoccurring internal vision. And it has to do with the prophetic word that was received by the body of Christ years ago. And it talked about stadiums filled with people. Stadiums filled with people. And there were signs and wonders, and there were resurrections, people that brought the sick and the dying and the cancer, and people who were on life support. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it, it, and the, it was called the nameless, faceless generation. Can I get more volume up here? I can't hear myself at all. The nameless, faceless generation. Not because there weren't known people, but there was just so many people functioning in, the, in resurrection life. There was just too many. It was just too common for the over, to, I mean, what was reserved for a few is now upon the many. This was the essence of what was happening. But I remember there, it was like this, this atmosphere that, was, that I could see over these stadiums. It was like the, the congregations, as they worshipped, were being cocooned in resurrection life. And then just every once in a while, people would say, we have another one. There's another one here. There's another resurrection. And I mean, in the vision, there was newspapers and, and uh, six o'clock news all over the nation, all over the United States and Canada, advertising and filming what was happening. It was just, it was just rocking the world. And, and I, but what was, what was over me this week is this, is that right now, right now, God is trying to create this cocooning sort of, you know, the way a mother hen broods over the eggs and, and, and they're creating this atmosphere because something is happening. And those chicks are coming to the place of birth. They're coming to a place where they're moving from one state to another state. I see something happening in the body of Christ right now. I see a cocooning over the people of God. But it's not people coming like us into being born again, but actually coming into a fullness of sonship. Coming into a sense that there's this realization that, hey, the kingdom of God is not what happens when only that guy speaks or when that person sings, but the kingdom of God is really inside of me. That That's not just a doctrine that I believe. That's not just a biblical thought that I, I rehearse and I sort of allude to occasionally, but you actually cross over the way you realize, no, the same spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's in me. It's in me. I don't have, I'm not waiting 
for this to come from somewhere else. It's right here. And that when I know I have it, then I release it. When I know it's mine, when I know I have permission, when I know I'm the father's child, when I know I'm not a slave, I'm just not bound anymore. And there's a whole people that are coming into, they're coming to this awakening. And that's the nameless, faceless generation, sons and daughters by the millions. What right now is reserved to, you know, fantastic supernatural ministries, a handful of people across the globe. Imagine that number times a million, times a million. Not because they are holding it reserved, but they've come into something in order to tell us that we also can come into it. They're not holding anything back. They've just prematurely before us gone into it to tell us it's possible. It is possible for you. It is possible for me. It is possible for this church. There's a, there is a victory beyond your imagination. There's a power at beyond your imagination to escape everything the enemy throws at us. So, Father, we are children of God. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, Lord, this is the reality we are leaning into. I'm no longer a slave to fear. My confidence today is that God, who began a good thing, when he reached into the clay and he grabbed me, when he grabbed my life, when I was sitting in the bar in Cold Lake, Alberta, when he grabbed me and tossed me into the kingdom, he began a thing I did not understand and could not begin to comprehend. And the promise that hangs over our lives is he who began a good thing will finish it. He who began a good thing will finish it. Oh, God. Father, we pray today that the fullness of this thing called sonship, God, our adoption into the kingdom of God, to become joint heirs, to be seated with you in heavenly places, to to be called brethren by Jesus, to be called friends, to be in a position where you said you're no longer servants because the, the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but you understand everything. Lord, we want to leave the plateau of being servants and coming to a place where we understand what it is that you are doing. Let me tell you, that's not just a right. That's a process that you come into. We are coming into a place where the mystery is being made known to us. As we leave that plateau of servant, we become, we mature into, hey, I'm walking in my inheritance now. Praise God. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but as we were worshiping, I, I remember this verse, and Paul says this. He says, uh, he says, we are the circumcision of God who put no confidence in the flesh. That's not something you just claim by faith. That's something you mature into. So, Father, I pray that we would be the circumcision of God who put no confidence in the flesh. And, Lord, even as now your Holy Spirit is upon our lives, 
And you are showing us and bringing to an end those things in us, those secret places in our heart where we, in fact, do put confidence in the flesh. Father, we say you are changing us. You are making us overcoming believers. God, you are making that which is insubstantial, substantial in our lives. You are making that thing which is vague, which is spirit, which is misty. You are making it, God, concrete for us. Oh, God, thank you, Father in heaven. Thank you, Father in heaven. Thank you, Father in heaven, that you are bringing many sons into fullness. You are bringing us into maturity. God, you are setting us free. Lord, we are coming. We are leaving our chains behind. Resurrection power. This is our inheritance. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Today, you know, some days when we're into worship, you feel like there's this collective burden on us where God is actually having us pray for our, our, our region. And we are, we are breaking through on behalf of other churches. We are in kind of a prophetic worship intercession. You know that, you know that God positions the body, you know, the churches? He actually puts burdens and assignments on churches when they gather. And, and today I feel something very different. I feel like God is bringing attention to the process that he has you in. But I tell you what, I am so excited. I feel like, like I'm coming into a revelation of the family of God like never before. And so, you know what that means to me? That means whatever I understood yesterday, whatever I understood yesterday was incomplete. That's why, that's why it says in, you know, Proverbs, said, do not lean on your own understanding. Why? Because your understanding is always evolving, and you are, you're going to see more clearly tomorrow what you thought you understood yesterday. And there's so many principles that we adhere to, but we don't understand. But we think we do. But you, you come into increasing aha moments, because the light of day just shines brighter and brighter, and brighter, and brighter. It's kind of like uh, the other day, uh, uh, Cam was talking about karate techniques, and, and he was saying, you know, there are basic things that you learn in terms of movements, and what happens when you're a black belt, we're still talking about the same things. So we're still talking about the same basic movements, except we're talking about it on a level that a white belt could not even begin to comprehend. There are subtleties in the movements, places where the power comes from, where it does not come from. What is the optimum moment of, you know, certain movements? Like there's a transition to it where, where things come into play that you just didn't understand and that you realize when you're a brown belt and a black belt that, man, I didn't, when I was a white belt, I thought, well, oh, look at me. But I wasn't even doing it remotely close, but I didn't, couldn't see then that I wasn't. Now I see. That's the kind of thing. So if Pastor Mark's standing up here and he's hitting you with the same things we talked about 10 years ago, it's not because you don't know them. It's just because you know them more now, but yet not quite as well as you're going to know them tomorrow. So, Father... Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And I want to prophesy over this body immunity. Immunity from depression. Immunity uh, from wounding. Immunity 
from hopelessness, immunity, 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 immunity. This is the inheritance of the sons of God. Jesus, Jesus could lay down his life because he knew he had the power to pick it up again. He knew that resurrection, I don't mind dying because I have resurrection life. Every time you love somebody that's dangerous, that might not love you back, you're taking a risk. They might, they might wound you. But if you know you have the power of resurrection and ultimate healing, you can take that risk, right? Jesus could lay his life down because he knew he had resurrection life. Thank you, Father. Amen. Uh, Chris, why don't you come and say something good? Just as uh, we were in the worship and as Mark was sharing at the end, I was just uh, reminded of a time that uh, I remember I, anybody gone rappelling before? You know, rappelling off a mountain, bridge, whatever it is, right? Maybe you've gone to a climbing wall or something and just done some rappelling. And I remember once going to uh, the Pemina Bridge. And uh, I don't know if any of you remember that overpass there. It's about 200 feet in the air. And uh, a bunch of us young kids decided to be real adventurous, and we went underneath it. And we decided to rappel off that bridge. And uh, one of the guys that came, he decided to bring the safety rope just to make sure there were no accidents and stuff like that. And uh, some people who had never repelled before came on that trip. And I remember he said, okay, Chris, you repelled before, so you're going first. And we're just going to make sure that the safety rope works good and all that stuff. It's like, okay. And I remember getting on that edge, 200 to 250 feet, you know, and that, that, first, that first moment where you got to let go, Right? just to know that that rope's going to hold you. And that safety rope's on there. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. And all of a sudden, I go about 50 feet down. And that rope that we had actually used that day was a brand new rope and had a little tag on it. We didn't notice the tag. And as I was going down, that safety rope hit the tag, and it locked. And I went down about another 12 to 13 feet. And so I couldn't reach the safety rope. I was just stuck on the rope, and I was probably about 75 to 100 feet in the air. And I remember I'm just sitting there going, how do I get that? I'm stuck. And we probably tried for 15 minutes. They're telling me, just try this, try this, try that. And one of the guys finally says to me, says, hey, I'll drop down a knife and you can cut the rope. I'm like, that's just, that's a stupid idea. And I remember a guy went to the bottom. He said, I'll try to catch you. I'm like, I'm 75 feet in the air. That's just not going to work. And I remember finally, I just heard, it must have been the Holy Spirit. And I tied a little knot in and I climbed up the rope and I got to the safety thing. But I wasn't able to get that rope undone. And I grabbed this thing, and I started sliding closer and closer and closer to this knot in the rope, realizing that when I hit that, I'm in trouble again. And this time, it's going to be worse. And right when it got there, I remember thinking, what am I about to do? And the only thing that worked is I had to shove my hand somehow in this thing. And somehow, it just ripped all the skin off my fingers and my hand and all this stuff. And somehow, I got through this thing. I don't even know how I did it. But all I remember from that whole story was this. I remember when I hit the ground. And that, my feet are back on the ground. I'm free. I'm not on that rope anymore. And this morning I remembered this. And the Lord said, there's some of you in this room, that depression that you hit, that depression is about to end. That fear is about to end. That rejection is about to end. And I felt it over money, over a bunch of it, the money, the fear of money, the fear of being without. 
I feel like the Lord's saying that fear is about to end for many of you in this room. And your feet are going to get on that firm foundation. That's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has got you, and it's time for you to be free. Amen? It's time to be free. So, Father, we receive that freedom in Jesus' name. That freedom is available for all of us. We sung it this morning, God. We sung it this morning, God. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves, Father God. Father, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so, Jesus, today we declare freedom over depression. We declare freedom over rejection, over fear, over money, over whatever it is over each person in this room, God. Right now, we declare freedom in Jesus' name, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I, I feel like the idea of the community, you know, that, you know, not that we need to change our main name, but begin to refer, this is the community, because it is the, one of the, I mean, community is created by love. And the greater your love is, the greater community you, you create. And we are getting to a place where the social skills necessary for, for community are being lost to a generation. And it's not because of Facebook. Facebook is just the next, the escalation, you know, the inability to have any real relationships. So we, we settle for pseudo relationships, right? Uh, but we're losing the ability to, to actually be intimate with people because there's only, you know, the, we're getting narrower and narrower in terms of who we can relate to. You know, well, I'd have this guy over, but he's pre-trib, you know. <laughs> I would, I'd have this one over, but they're Baptist. I would have this one over, except, you know, they, they're not this. And love, love is embracing. Love has a way of, of, uh, of actually, when you increase in love, you, what diminishes in your life is the convenience of having the people that you relate to be exactly like you. You know, that's what happens is you just get broader in your capacities. Things that used to irritate you, you just, you just blow off. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the numbers of people that you can be intimate with increases. And, the, and the, you think, well, yeah, but they're not safe or they're this or they're that and the other thing. Well, that, when you grow in love, that becomes uh, superfluous. It's, it's a non-issue. Amen? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the net effect, the net health of a nation, right, is its faith. Let me, let me say that. The, 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 the baseline health, social health of a people group is their capacity to fellowship, their capacity to love one another, and there is no real love without Christ. There's only self-interest expressed in, in uh, mutual back-scratching if you know what that means. So, anyway, I didn't want to talk about that, but that was for free. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about something, but I'm, I'm going to, you're probably wondering, what's that rope for? I want to say it's for something. Well, let me read the scripture, and we'll see how we, get it, we can get over to this rope. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. Sorry, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. I kind of have a feeling... Even if you look at that in the Bible, your Bible, it's sort of written poetically. 
And I'm, I'm wondering if it was verses to a hymn they sang, you know, a song, a song the church was familiar with at the time. But regardless, it represents two, three, three levels of maturity. Little children, young men, and fathers. Okay? Actually speaks of three distinct levels of maturity. And so, obviously, you know, you can't break maturity into that because, you know, just look across the room, right? I mean, I mean, there's as, there, as many years as there are, there could be potential stages, you know, if you really want to break it down. I mean, it's, 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 this, is, this is simplifying the process into maturity. But regardless, it's a, it's a, great, little, a great little thing. But let's just say, for arbitrary sake, there are only three levels of maturity. All right, little children, young men, and fathers. Obviously, when we say fathers, we mean mothers. <laughs> Wrong answer, Ben. Uh, good try, though. I love that. Love the people who try. <laughs> Hallelujah. Anyway, between little children and fathers, there is this intermediate step called young men. And what's interesting is how he defines that stage of maturity. And how does he define it? What are the, what are, what's the common thread of, of these young men? You are strong and you have overcome the wicked one. And so let me just say this about that intermediary step, you know, and I won't point out anybody in the room, but some of us are in that stage. Some of us are in that stage, you know, when I, I remember, you know, uh, embarrassingly enough, coming to that stage when you started to have muscles, as a young man, and you know, suddenly uh, there wasn't a mirror around you didn't love. You know, it's like, you know, always, you know, and then uh, if you're athletic, which we were, you know, doing, playing hockey and doing weights, you know, suddenly the testosterone in your body, you start realizing that, wow, you know, I, I can actually accentuate this by working out. And, and uh, so you're, you're reveling in that phase, you're reveling in the fact that you're coming into this new stage of capacity. You're discovering uh, things you didn't, couldn't ever do before. You're, you're discovering strength you didn't have and skills you didn't have. And it's a, it's a wonderful time. But what also accompanies that is a kind of individualization, right? It's like you individuate because you, you discover that you can and somebody else can't, right, during that time. You discover that, that Hey, I can grow a beard and you can't. I'm growing one, you know. You, you individuate because it's, it's, in your, it's in your interest to individuate. And there is a focus on self and you're, you become enamored with your capacity. And if you can actually start to do things distinctly well, head and shoulders above others, then you start to gravitate towards those things that you do exceptionally well. And you start to, find a, you start to define your identity in, in what those things that you do exceptionally well, particularly as it, as it stands out in contrast to the rest of the world around you. And so, ah, that is, that's just kind of an annoying stage <laughs> because it's all about you, right? It's, it's, but it, it is a godly stage in the sense that it's necessary to come through that. But eventually, the affection for your individual performance starts to to pass away as other values begin to take over. And this is, in essence, what maturity really brings us to. But I was thinking about this the other day. 
And uh, I was trying to figure out, I started writing an article, I don't know if I'll finish it or not, but I started writing this about, about the nature of corporate versus individual warfare. Now, you might remember a time when a young David, right, who had slain the bear and he had slain the lion, which is amazing, right? You know, him and his little slingshot. And he goes out onto the war, onto the field of battle. And of course, the Philistines are putting out their champion. The Philistines have sort of made the ground rules for this battle, right? They, they basically said, okay, you guys send your champion out and we'll send our champion out. And by the way, here's our champion. You know, he's like this eight-foot-tall, massive man, you know, warrior from his youth. Like, he's got brothers with five fingers, and, you know, I mean, he's, uh, I, I can't remember the specifics of the size of his armor and his spear like a weaver's beam. I don't know what a weaver's beam is, you know, in terms of size, but beam tells the whole story there, right? <laughs> We're not talking a stick. We're talking a beam, right? And this is his arrow, it's like, wow. Anyway, so this, this, is, this is wrong on so many levels, all right? I don't think Israel should have ever accepted those terms. I think that was a mistake to begin with. Like, who said, you're the boss? Who said, you know, if it were me, you know, at least in hindsight, because it's great to have answers in hindsight, I, I would say, yeah, sure, send your warrior out. And then what would have sent a thousand men? Right? It's war. We don't have to do what you say. I mean, I think the whole idea behind war is we disagree. (laughs) Right? So let's continue disagreeing about how this is playing out. (laughs) It's like, like, uh, sure, send the guy out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How can you dodge this? (laughs) Thousand arrows. 25 horses, (laughs) you know. But nevertheless, they did that. But the nature of that battle is this, is that it amplifies, it amplifies the sets, the skill set that one individual possesses, okay, and it causes that one individual. It's a classic moment, a standalone moment for somebody with exceptional skills, Right? What if that's not the nature of kingdom warfare? What if that was never the way God was meaning us to war? What if the way that God always meant for us to war was corporate? What if, you know, when, you, when I think of warfare, effective warfare, I think of the transition and the, the, the uh, techniques that were developed by the Romans as they moved in, in garrisons, right, and the, with their shields. And, and you know, what happens there is if you are, imagine this, right? You're a Roman soldier, and you are a swordsman like nobody else. I mean, you can, you know, you, you can do anything you want with that sword. I mean, people are like, oh, look at that guy. Look at his sword. And they say, yeah, okay, grab your shield, hide behind the shield, and, and, and get in line. Get in line? If I do that, I don't get to show everybody how great I am with a sword. Right? It's kind of a setback, right? I'd rather, why don't you guys go as a group and I'll run alongside and, you know, that way you can see how many guys I, I take out. Well, I don't, I don't care how good you are. One against a thousand. You run into a, a, a thousand charging guys and you're dead. You're dead. It's not going to work. So, so the, the collective approach to battle uh, is 
is preserving, but and the only the only people who don't don't really want to be a part of the collective is those who might stand out head and shoulders above everyone else. It, this is important. This is important because because there's two things that God wants to do. God wants to change our minds and our attitudes towards that we move as an army, we move as a whole, we move as a body, we move as a group of people. And though there is an individual skill set, there is an individual calling to living and dying in a certain way, that the effectiveness, like actually God wants you to get past the mindset of adolescence that is enamored with your, your, the strength. You, I have overcome the evil one. Yeah, but, but we have overcome the world. You know, we are, we, you know, you have overcome that temptation in that context of your life, but if we're going to take a nation, we need to move corporately. And so, anyway, this vague idea for me has been percolating in my mind for some time. And, uh, but when we were in North Battleford, I began to see it in a whole different way. Let me change the the context. Keep the imagery of this for a minute, and, and let me tell you what I see and why it's important. So we are accustomed to, to the idea of fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And one of the things we get into in, in the body of Christ is we get into this thing where we are, we are busy um, memorializing individuals for their head and shoulders capacity above the body. Now, God has every gift that is there, God has given. And there's never a good reason for dishonoring gifts. But the reason for the gifts is to bring everybody else into what you have, not for you to stand apart and show how well you can do it. I mean, that, that, that's the purpose for that. Now, if you're still caught in that adolescent world of, of look at me, look at how I have strong I've become, look how I've overcome the enemy, then you're actually happy to be put on a stage and being put in that place where, watch what I can do prophetically. Watch what I can do in worship. Look how I can, look at these spiritual gifting, charismatic gifts, techniques, and stuff I can do. Uh, and there's this world that exists where the people are an audience and the performers are the head and shoulders uh, gifted above everybody else. Let me tell you, there's always going to be head and shoulders people gifted above everybody else. And we need that but it's not for the purpose of performing or impressing the world. And that is a stopgap expression of immaturity on our way to becoming corporate. I, I, I have to say, uh, I, remember, I remember all of the attitudes about being in that stage, honestly. And you know what? If you're in that stage, it's very hard to think outside of that. But here's the good news. You grow up. You actually, you actually can start to come out of that. And I'm thinking that I might be on the verge of that. <laughs> I'm hoping, believing, I see evidences that my vision is shifting. And, uh, and I, in fact, I don't just believe it. I know it to be so because of what's in my heart. So, for example, when we were in North Battleford this last week, and I was, uh, we were worshiping, and I was, of course, I'm a part of the, the core team and uh, helping lead this thing, and Art Lucier started it, and there's a great group of guys and everything. But I want to tell you what I saw. What I saw was the most, the, 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 the greatest moments in that event when, was not a moment when one person was doing things on the stage. The greatest moments was when everybody was doing something. Yeah. 
the swell of life and power in the room. It, I mean, it was just so, it was so high and so great. And it was because of the engagement of the people on the floor. You know, at its height, we had like, I think, 1,400 people there. And I remember in one of the meetings, we were, we were worshiping and we were exhorting the people to release. And the people began to release. And the wave of the presence of God that started to be released in that room was, was, was holy. This is it, God. This is it. Your body is starting to come alive. I mean, I was, I, was, I, was, I was mesmerized by the beauty of the body. And I'm thinking, this is it. I mean, I, I still love my role and doing my role. But my role, okay, is not for others to watch. And I, I, I think it's the first time that I fully appreciated the corporate that there's a power, there's an authority in the release of the corporate that I never saw before. So, now, the challenge is this. The challenge is when you get 1,400 people coming into the room, everybody, kind of like Sunday morning, kind of like this morning, everybody's coming from their own, their own world, right? Some of you had things happen this morning on the way to church, you know, you broke a zipper, you, you, know, you spilled something on your shirt, you had to change shirts, you had a little tip with somebody, somebody cut you off, uh, you know, one of the kids was, you know, crying, you had to run them out before the, uh, of, the, of the room, you know, you had to, uh, all kinds of things happen, right? And so, how do you get a group of people to be fully releasing their spirit Right, so that they're actually releasing life. Now, as you know, this is predicated upon some of the things we've already talked about here as a body, right? Which is this: that that the life of God coming into the earth has been illustrated in Scripture by water, right? I'm just going to give the quick review for this. Revelations 22: the river of life flowing out from the throne of God. River of life is emanating from God. It is, it is the substance, the core substance of who God is. God is life. God is love. God is spirit. So that river is a, a river of love. It's a river of spirit. It's a river of life. And we sing the song. I've got a river. Well, we don't sing it anymore. But <laughs> I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Makes the lane to walk and the blind to see. This, this is how God is changing the earth, is that he has all of these tributaries. So he's got this great river of life, but it's like, what, it's doing great things for heaven, but it needs to go into the realm of the earth. And so God decided to get it into the realm of the earth. I'm going to create a well in every single one of the believers. When you become born again, you become one spirit with God. Then the eternal life that is stuck in heaven comes into the world, but it comes in through you. And so the challenge, in, as you, you, whether you're a little child or a young adult or a father, is you're growing into the place where you realize that you do have a river of life and that you can release it. And the difference between being a child and being an adult has to do with regularity. How much of this can you do at will? How, how easily can the enemy shut your valve? How easy, what does he have to do? How can he poke you so that suddenly you're having a bad Sunday and you go to church and you don't really, can't really, I just couldn't enter in this morning for the first hour and a half. And then the last five minutes I felt, you know, 
right? So that's, that's our experience is we're, we're bottled up, we're stuck, we're caught in a, an offense, an emotion, a depression, a whatever it is, and we're not, you know, you have those victorious moments. What those victorious moments really are is the life of God that is in you flowing out of you, yeah. that you are worshiping in spirit and truth, and the life, you know, that river is flowing through your life. So if three of us have the river of God flowing through of us here, hopefully one of them is the worship leader, <laughs> we're going to have, right, uh, about one and a half percent of what we could have. One and a half percent. Now what if the presence of God, what if the atmosphere, what if all those things that we come to church for to take us up out of our you know, self-pity or our brokenness or our offense or our struggles or our fear or our depression or whatever it is that's, that's battling us, and there's always going to be a, a proportion of people who can't, who can't come above their stuff. That's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. And so you don't have to feel guilty about that or anything like that. But the reality is, is this, is that the manifestation of the anointing and the presence of God and that breakthrough atmosphere is not dependent upon the one or two people that are on the stage at any given moment. And that's, the, that's our idea. We have a performer, uh, you know, observer mentality that, hey, you guys, come on, you guys do it. And then we judge the value of the day is if those guys did it for us. And that's what changes when you start realizing, oh, hey, wait a minute, I, I am a river. That's right. I am one spirit with God. Not just today, every day. Yeah. Not just right now, not yesterday. When, oh, I, yesterday, oh, during prayer, I was totally one with the Spirit of God. No, you are one with the Spirit of God all the time. Yeah. But the warfare in your life distracts you from that reality, distracts you so that you're not able to tap into that reality, and so that you're not, you, you're not able to really contribute to the atmosphere. And so maturity is the place where, where we, are, we are less and less and less receivers and more and more and more we're givers. Yeah. That we actually... Yeah, I remember... Um, Kim Wheeler sharing the testimony a few years ago. He shared it right here, but he said he went to a church in Cologne, and, and you know he's like, I don't want to go to that church. And and he went back, and his wife said, No, I think we're supposed to go to this church. And, and he's praying. He said, God, he said, well, what is that church going to do for me? And the Lord, like, who told you I was bringing you there so that they could do something for you? And and it was then that the Lord began to change his paradigm that the reason you come to church is not to take from the atmosphere, but to give to the atmosphere. Now, not everybody can give to the atmosphere, but some are desperately in need for an atmosphere that you create. And the idea that the people on the stage who are musically gifted actually change the atmosphere is something the Holy Spirit is eroding in this house over and over and over. Because we get it all the time. People come and say, like, like oh, why does it take us three songs before there's that, you know... <laughs> presence of God, you know. Why does it take three songs? And, you know, the Holy Spirit is looking at all of us and says, why does it take three songs before you're releasing? When, when you have the ability to turn the tap on the second you get up in the morning. 
because I don't really know that I have that ability. For me, the release of the Spirit and that experience that I call, you know, victory or whatever, I don't know where it comes from. And so I get triggered by oh, a certain song or somebody saying something to me, and, and this allows me to come to that place where I open up and start to release the life. Your victory is not something coming on you. It's something coming out of you. Yes. That's, that's what we're coming into. So it takes three songs because we're, we, are, we are, you know, maybe however many of us who are, who are releasing right from the, the first second you know, a whole bunch of people are eating up and drinking up that water in order to be a catalyst for them to release. And what God is saying is, listen, maturity is you start to realize that you are not beholden to the one that's head and shoulders above you. You are not beholden or limited by how on or off the worship team is. You're not, you are not, your victory does not hinge on whether Pastor Mark has a prophetic word that said, okay, now that I can receive. That one's for me. That, those things are immaterial to your overall life victory. And the, and the trajectory of, of maturity in our life is realizing that, hey, I have the Spirit of God. That when, when, I, when I got that drink, it's created a well in me. And I can turn on the tap anytime I want. The Spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That I can come in and I can begin to worship God. And I don't have to be worried about what I feel or what I don't feel. That God is who He is. And I'm going to declare who He is because I'm, part, I'm a part of changing the atmosphere. And when I, in faith, say something, when I say God is alive, when I say the Spirit of Christ, the, when I, the glory of God, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess... And God is greater than all. Whatever I say that's born of that revelation that is inside of me, that actually starts to affect the atmosphere. So what I saw in North Battleford was 1,400 people that especially after day two and day three and day four and day five were coming into that meeting and they were coming in already wide open. Already wide open. So then you start to ask a question, okay, right? Uh, so we need a 10-day conference, what, three times a week? Uh, th- three times a month? 10-day conference, three times a month. <laughs> Not that we absolutely need it, but it helps. Like, there's a reason why in Revival, they started meeting every day, every day, at lunch, and at supper, quickly eating and then running back to the meat. Because there was, this, there was this atmosphere, but what they didn't always realize is the atmosphere was coming from them. I know, yeah, it's really hard for the religious mind. No, no, that's sacrilegious, you know. Uh, no, you, but what does it mean to be one spirit with God? You are one spirit with God. So where does your spirit start and his, start, his begin? Union. Union. Oh, I'm waiting to be led. I understand waiting to be led. Waiting to be led used to be as the right combination of impulses so that I could feel emotionally released to do something with zeal. Then I was led. Right? And I started realizing, oh, (sighs) The catalyst for me being led was all these things, and actually they were soulish. They were circumstantial. 
They're based on my own fears, my unbelief. And, I, and as God began to knock them off one at a time in the process of discipling me, I, I had the conditions for the release of the Spirit became, uh, became less and less. You know, I didn't look for optimum moments anymore. So the value of 10 days is that is that when you go in the meeting, it's like, how many of you were here at our conference for three nights, right? I mean, it's tiring, but, but the life, something starts to open up inside of you, and, and, and it does, the enemy doesn't have to cl- the time to close it yeah. before you go to the next meeting, and it's still open. Yeah. Oh, how come it got better the second day and the third day? <laughs> Why? Because all the valves were open. Not because, you know, some other magical, mysterious component. You, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, as an individual, your body is a temple. What is that scripture? It says, says, food is for the stomach and stomach for food, but the body is for the Lord. God made your body as a tabernacle, as a temple, as a resting place for his presence. And it's the religious mindset that can't reconcile. Yeah, but I'm this and I'm defective and I'm, I, you know, have this, you know, and when I sin, I feel like I, you know, totally have to back off from God and, you know, wait four weeks for him to, you know, start to tell me it's okay to draw near and, and, and all these things that shut me down. Now, that's kind of what we're talking about today. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now think about this for a second. God made known what is the absolute treasure uh, of the mystery of God, which is uh, and, and not just to, to the Jews, but he says to the Gentiles, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The core revelation that Paul is praying for the disciples to realize is that the kingdom of God is inside of you. Don't say here, don't say there, don't say, but inside of you. That doesn't mean that, oh, there's a revival meeting happening in North Battleford. There would be some benefit for, for my life inside. No, Christ is in you. You don't need that benefit. No, you do need the benefit because it helps you realize what's inside of you. The gathering together with others who have realized Christ in them rubs off onto you and you realize that Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the essence. This is the most concrete expression of the advance of the kingdom of God. That God is taking up residence in people. That His glory is in earthen vessels. Wow. I had a few other scriptures to, that I, I was going to read, but they kind of go off in another direction, so I, I don't want to go to them because I don't have time to really develop that. But what I do want to do is I want to tell you about this rope. Anybody want to hear about this rope? Yeah. Well, this rope is old. No, I don't know much about the rope. But what I want to do is this. 
I know it's, it's, it's a simple thing, but I feel like it's, it's significant. I like, uh, where's Vernon? Vernon Rayner. Oh, you good. You brought your, your, you got your, brought your bad shirt. Come on. Where's, uh, where's Gavin? I asked, I asked Gavin to get a couple of people. Okay. Who's here? Who, who's coming up, Gavin? Who are you sending? Oh, some girls. Okay. Okay. Just two? Okay. I want one of you to, to get on this rope. And I, I, want you, I want you guys to do a tug of war, just the two of you. Let's see what happens. Okay. Now, go. All right, all right. So, clearly, clearly one of us is head and shoulders above the other. I mean, he's got the meatiness and everything. All right, now, why don't you jump on there with, with Heidi? All right. So, so dig in a bit. Okay, you ready? All right, try now. Okay, we need one more girl. One more girl. Uh, do we have a pregnant lady? Are you... All right. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. Okay. Go. Go. Okay, thanks. Good job. Good job, guys. I, I wasn't really sure how this was going to go, but, so we didn't practice it. But the simple, the simple reality is here. The, the body of Christ, the corporate, expre- corporate expression of a people, of an army of God, is not one talented individual. It's not one person with unique over-the-head gifts that everybody else gets behind and applauds from a distance. All it takes, all it takes, all it takes is for how many of us that there are to pull together at the same time. That the victory that we're looking for, listen, this, this is what I saw. It was so clear in North Battleford. The revival that's coming is not because a handful of uh, apostolic revivalists, prophetic revivalists, or over-the-top evangelists are suddenly going to emerge, but a body of people, the body is going to realize that Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me. And it doesn't matter. I mean, these girls, you know, I mean, I, I know that the pride of man would like to, no, I want to do it myself. I, I want to stand, I want to get the praise of this. See, the the, the body image diffuses the capacity for us to take the glory. That's why God has designed the body to be the body. And if you look at the whole message around the body, and the whole message is this, you don't stand alone. You can never stand alone. You need the body. And in Rick Joyner's book, when they were ascending the mountain and some people came to this place 
uh, this level, this key level of victory where suddenly they experienced the glory of God and they were infused with this amazing power. They're, 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 you know, they had their shields and their swords and they were majestic and, and glorious. And out of that, they actually, some of them saw the enemy's camp and they, let's go! And they ran off as, you know, uh, crazy banshees, individuals, you know, rocky, rocky kind of, you know, rocky the movie? No, not Rocky, Rambo. Rambo, Rambo. You know, the one solitary warrior with all the skills who wins the day? <sighs> and all of them were captured. Wonderful. I mean, the imagery of the book is quite profound, quite vexing, quite disappointing, because it shows the futility of the hero mentality that it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. And these glorious warriors were easily surrounded, overcome, and taken captive. And, and what happened was the solution for Rick Joyner in the book was the Holy Spirit, or wisdom, who was standing next to him. He said, hold on a second. He said, put this on. And he put on a cloak of humility that hid all the gloriousness of the experience they just had. Actually, it masked because he was emanating with glorious light. And it, the humility hid everything that he was. And when that glow was gone, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a big city with lots of lights, you can't see, you can't see into the dark, right? Yeah. As soon as that cloak of humility was on him, suddenly saw divisions waiting to capture anybody who went out in a solitary way. Something is changing in the body of Christ. We, we, there are going to be apostles. There are going to be prophets. There are going to be key leaders. But the victory, let me tell you, and, and it is settled in my heart in a way that it never has been up to this point, is a body you have prepared for us. That's what Jesus said prophetically in Hebrews, a body in the King James, thou hast prepared for me. We want to celebrate this truth, because it is a truth that we are coming into more and more and more. And all the competitiveness associated with different ones either becoming or trying to become the solitary Rambo-like hero for the moment is fading in our minds. I mean, it's important to come to that stage where you realize that you can overcome the evil one in your own life. It's important that you realize that you have an anointing from God. It's important for you to realize that you are strong. But the battle, the battle, the battle will be won by a people. I'm praying that the truth of this will begin to settle into us that all of the insecurity about not being what that one is and not being what this one is and, and trying to find our unique standalone head and shoulders place in the body is not necessary. Let me say this. You don't, your place is not to stand alone. Your place is to stand alongside. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, all the ways, Lord, that the enemy has convinced us of this, this unique individuation of a warrior, this self-seeking, glory-seeking, look-at-my-skills approach to the kingdom of God. 
Where's my ministry? Where's my crown? Where's, where's my role? Where's my significance? Father, that we are going to move as a body and we need every single part. Oh. Listen. This is what, I, I believe this is what's changing. The body of Christ is going from a place... You know, we've actually had a whole culture that surrounds, uh, you know, surrounds heroes. We, we follow heroes. We worship heroes. We got a hero mentality, right? What, what's that song? I need a hero. I don't need a hero. I don't need a hero. I'm not following a hero. The body of Christ that's coming has a mindset that we are moving as one. We are moving as a body. We, we are moving in step with one another. And so we're just saying to God, we're saying, Lord, we don't even know what that looks like. We don't even know maybe how to do that fully. But we're saying, God, mature us. Mature us to the place where, A, we're not worshiping heroes, and, B, we're not standing at a distance from heroes and letting them take the fall for us. Right? I don't want to be the guy out front. Let me tell you, I've been out front trying to be the hero, and it's painful. And you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't win the war that way. You might be able to display a couple of sword skills, but you can't really win. And so there's a mindset coming upon the body of Christ. And anybody who's watching the video, I'm praying for you that the revelation of the body of Christ, the revelation of the corporate army, the revelation of a, of a corporate people walking together like the Roman armies in garrisons, will begin to set upon you. We are not individuals displaying our gifting. So, Father, in Jesus' name, give us a new heart. Make us fathers and mothers. Make us fathers and mothers. Hey, do, do you remember, do you remember how, how when you were parents and your kids started becoming, you know, that teenage level where they start to individuate and get a few muscles and you, you kind of, hey, look at you know, you kind of thought, oh, you know, somebody, somebody's got a muscle now. And uh, it, it's funny because you know that it's just a phase. The body of Christ has been in this phase for far too long. We've been in that phase, but we're coming out of it. We're coming out of it. We're coming out of it. Father, in Jesus' name, break the seduction. Break the seduction, Lord, of that man-worshiping spirit off of the church, off of your people. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Now, you might be thinking, you might be thinking, huh, but Pastor Mark, you get, to, you get to go out to places like, you know, Japan and and Kampala and Lima, Peru this week and all these places and you're doing this solitary work and, and there is a ministry that I'm doing but here's the illusion I'm not under that that stuff is what wins the war that's not why I do that I do that in order to raise up a body who are walking in that stuff so we can win the war the fivefold ministry is for the equipping of the saints so the saints win the war Right? Not so the saints sit back and, oh, I want to do what he's doing. No, no, no. That's not winning the battle. The winning battle 
is a people in a community like Spruce Grove who are full of the love of God, full of the love for each other, and who are spreading it out on every side with honor, diligence, and humility because they love one another. That's, that's what displaces principalities and powers from a region. What I do cannot displace principalities and powers. Do you hear this? I'm not under any illusion that the ministry, the work I'm doing, displaces the principalities. It's the rising of the body of Christ that displaces principalities and powers. And that's where we're going. That's where we're going. We're go- that's where we're going. There's victory ahead in our community on a level, on a scale, we can't even begin to imagine. We can If we just do this stuff, if you just do what you're called to do. Father, in Jesus' name, as we close this morning, I pray... Oh, that the sense of the endorsement of our Heavenly Father, the God, that you would shine over us. Lord, that that grace, that deposit, that stuff that's in us, Lord, we begin to come out. Lord, we'll begin to move as the body of Christ, not just this body, but Lord, knit together with the Baptists and the Alliance and all of them. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Now, you may be thinking, well, I'm not sure if I fully uh, believe all of that. I mean, I believe it, but I'm not sure I'm ho- I fully believe it. That's all right. Because we're in a progression and things are falling into place. So let me just bless you as we go today. God, may it fall into place for every single one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you. Bless one another.